0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Newer, coming at you on a Thursday afternoon on September 22nd. That's the sweet sound of a queen bee from Remedy Brewing. Let me know what you're drinking in the comment section below. In today's episode, we're going to go over the Minnesota Twins season. Is it over? Are Where are the injuries like? What are the injuries like right now? Then we're going go to go into the Minnesota Vikings, kind of talk about the week two. Uh, re- we recap the Eagles game won't touch too much on that because we don't really want to review that game then we'll go on to previewing the detroit lions week three matchup and then we'll end things with the minnesota timberwolves talking about the espn rankings that just kind of came out this last couple days Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molesather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molesather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molesather a call at 651 357 6528 or email them at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com. And tell them Andrew sent you. Let's begin things talking about the Minnesota Twins. Is the season over? Absolutely. They're nine games back with 13 left to go. Again, I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon, a little bit before the Twins game here. But... It really doesn't matter if they win or lose this game. They're nine games back with 13 left. There's They had a win against the Cleveland Guardians. That didn't happen. The season is over, but what went wrong? There's a lot of things that went wrong. You know, Players not hitting when they needed to. Pitching kind of not stepping up when they needed to. But overall, you can look at the front office. You can look at Rocco Baldillo. You can look at there's a lot of things that went wrong. It wasn't just one thing. But what I kind of keep coming back to is the injuries. The injuries played a, such a huge role in the twin season not going well. If you just look at the players on the IL, they had the most, they have the most on the injured list right now. You, know, you just look at it right now, I'll just kind of name I'll just name them. Alex Kirloff, Trevor Larnick, Royce Lewis, Tyler Malley, Sonny Gray, Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco, Ryan Jeffers, Chris Archer, Byron Buxton, Kenta Maeda, Chris Paddock, Miguel Sano, Danny Coulomb, Cody Stashak, Jorge Alcala, and Joan Romero. That's a lot. That's 17 players. That's not even accounting for, you know, some of the minor league players like Emmanuel Rodriguez, Matt Cantorino, Cantorino, a player who could have probably helped the Twins out later this season out of the bullpen. There's just so much that went wrong. Those players that I listed, the 17 players. That's an MLB roster. I've had so many different, like, discussions and people send me stuff and showing me. The Twins injured lineup could probably beat the lineup they're throwing out there right now. Just look at the lineup they throw out on a day-to-day basis now with everyone injured. You know, Sandy Leone, J.K., Vilberto Celestino. The list goes on. After about the fourth or fifth guy, they're they're really just kind of throwing triple-A players at the wall and hoping they stick. You can tell me that if they weren't healthy, that this team wouldn't be winning the division. But just look at the Cleveland Guardians. They have five guys on the IL. And one of them Zach Plezak who injured his hand punching the mound. Like, he's just an idiot. If that's your, if that's your biggest injury, punching the mound, I think you're doing okay. It's just so frustrating that You look at all those guys, Byron Buxton, Jorge Polanco, Tyler Malley, who they just traded for, Chris Archer, Ryan Jeffers, Royce Lewis, the list goes on. Their outfield that they throw out there on a day-to-day basis is just brutal. And yeah, Nick Gordon has looked good and has has been good this year. But you're throwing Nick Gordon, Hilberto Celestino, Jay Cave. I don't know. Kyle Garlick I'm just there's just so many things that went wrong and and I'm not throwing Nick Gordon into that list because he's a utility player but I'm just saying that if you're playing Nick Gordon consistently in the outfield when you, he's best utilized as a utility player where he can bounce around the field give other guys the day off hit every day at a 280 pace he's been great but man it's just hard not to think that this team wouldn't have won the division had they not stayed healthy. I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this on the Minnesota Twins on this podcast today because, well, I mean, what is there really to say? The season's over. It's not officially over, but I'm not going to go on here now and talk about, you know, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about the season yet because it's not officially over. But my future plans going on with this podcast, talking about the Minnesota Twins, I'm going to go kind of review the season. I'll talk about different players, you know, where they went wrong, where they can improve. And then I'll kind of more go into the offseason talks of trades, you know, players they can sign, if they should tender some of these players, you know, talk about the coaching staff. There's a lot to talk about this offseason that I'm really looking forward to. And maybe talking about some minor league players and who I've thought, like, could be a factor in 2023. There's just a lot to talk about in the off-season with this team that, you know, I'd rather just kind of save until this once the season is officially over. But, you know, nine games back, the season's been pretty much over at this point. Let's go on and talk about the Minnesota Vikings. I won't, like I said in the in the preview, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the Eagles game because, well, it was pretty bad. It was not a fun game to watch, and I don't really want to relive it. I know you don't want to relive it, so let's kind of go over a little bit, talk about what went wrong, and... Move on to week three. So obviously, recap of the game. They lost. It was bad. The defense was terrible. They gave up so many passes that were wide open, you know, in the middle. They didn't do enough pressing. You know, they were playing so far off. So far off the line of scrimmage there that it just allowed the Eagles players, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. They just let so many of these players have wide open lanes to get open in the middle or just there was no sense of urgency to play, you know, tougher, like up in their face. You would have thought that that's what they would have thought, like halfway through. And, you know, granted, I will give them. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that the second half was better. They didn't give up a point. They blocked the field goal, but it wasn't like. It wasn't like in the second half, the defense turned it on and they were Elite stopping, you know Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders in the run game and the passing. It, it was just not that. It was not an all-around good game. The Eagles are a run team, but it wasn't really the run that allowed them to have set like allowed them to have success. Those passes in that first drive really opened up their ability to run the ball. And yes, Jalen Hurts had two rushing touchdowns and he was phenomenal on the ground. But he was practically perfect throwing the ball in that first half. He ended the game throwing 26 for 31 and 333 yards. The passing game is what allowed the Eagles to run. They opened that game up passing the ball, which allowed them to kind of just run for 8 to 12 yards every time. The secondary is going to have to step up this next week. Offensively, I've tweeted about it. I've talked about it. They need to get others involved. Week one, they forced the ball to Justin Jefferson, and it worked. And more often than not, it's going to work. Justin Jefferson is just that good. But in week two, you could see that there wasn't really a plan B, a plan C. It was more, let's just throw it to Justin Jefferson and hope that it works out again. And like I said, more often than not, it's going to work, but you can't consistently rely on that. You're going to have to get others involved like Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, Irv Smith, Dalvin Cook. The list goes on. There's so many weapons on this Vikings team. Like, where where is Adam Thielen? He was pretty much non-existent in week one. But again, I don't think we're all complaining because Justin Jefferson had 180 yards. But where was Adam Thielen in week two? Yeah, he caught those balls, but they were all at the end of the game when it didn't really matter. And when, we, when they were throwing Adam Thielen, it was working. He was making phenomenal catches. And Kirk Cousins was threading the needle to find him in those tight spaces. Minnesota needs to get Adam Thielen more involved. And not only will, it, if you get Adam Thielen more involved, will it help your offense, but it helps everyone else. It helps Justin Jefferson get more open because they're not so focused on Justin Jefferson. KJ Osborne as well. like He's supposed to be a wide receiver two, wide receiver three. But he really hasn't been that effective. And I know this might be a hot take, but I actually really liked Irv Smith Jr.'s game. Yes, he dropped that ball that he should have absolutely caught. But other than that drop ball that he should have, and that, and that was honestly momentum changing. If he catches that ball and he runs it in, it's 21-14 with a minute whatever left. The Vikings get the ball in the second half, and maybe, maybe the score is going to be 21-17, or maybe it's 21-21 early in the third quarter. That changed the entire momentum. And that caused Kirk Cousins to kind of try to play hero ball to kind of catch up. And that doesn't ever work for him. But on Earth Smith, when he was, he was targeted a lot. And I was kind of, I was excited to see what he has. We haven't really seen him since that 2020 season when he played with, alongside um, uh, Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph, sorry. Earth Smith made people miss. When he did catch the ball, he would catch it on the left side, kind of make that first guy, first guy miss, and then he would get a nice first down. There's a lot to like about his game. He plays like a wide receiver in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And I think he can be a huge weapon in week three here against the Detroit Lions. But again, that drop pass was, was a huge, huge turn of events. Let's talk about Kirk Cousins. We all know that if Kirk Cousins tries to play hero ball, it's not going to work. We saw it in week two. We've seen it in the past. And yeah, you can say, yeah, national te- like national televised game here. Kirk Cousins never really shows up, but I honestly don't really care if it's a 12 o'clock game, 3 o'clock game, 7 o'clock game, whatever. It's really just when Kirk Cousins feels the pressure and he needs to start making throws and trying to get the Vikings back into things. I think that same thing would have happened if it was a 12 o'clock game. It doesn't matter if it's seven o'clock or twelve o'clock. Eagles fans are going to bring it, no matter what time it is. They were going to they're going to bring the pressure like that. At twelve o'clock, three o'clock, seven o'clock, it doesn't matter. Kirk Cousins needed to make better decisions, and that's that's what it boils down to. And not every interception and every bad pass was his fault. There was the Jeff- Justin Jefferson on the first interception that wasn't entirely his fault. It was mostly it was primarily on Justin Jefferson. But a lot of the other bad throws, he should have had at least like five or six interceptions. And again, I'm not saying that he was good. I'm not saying he was terrible. I do put most, I have put most of the blame on the offensive line. And maybe that is a hot take or maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but I actually do believe that it's on the offensive line. If you watch that game, you watch Kirk Cousins drop back. Every time he's making his step back, he's the Eagles defenders are already in the backfield, putting pressure on him, about to sack him. How are wide receivers, how is Justin Jefferson, how is KJ Osborne, how is Adam Thielen supposed to get open within a second? How is Kirk Cousins supposed to make the right read within a second when there's already an Eagles defender in his face? You can't expect any quarterback to go in there and play a great game if they're immediately hiking the ball and about to get sacked. The offensive line needs to put more. They need to work better. There's no... The Eagles blitz like every single down and it worked, and that's going to be kind of the game plan. It almost feels like now, moving forward, every team will watch that tape and see, hey, if we get to Kirk Cousins, we can rattle him. Justin Jefferson's not going to get open within that amount of time, and that's kind of what worries me. The offensive line needs to improve, and and Ed Ingram will improve. He's still a rookie. He's still young. Brian O'Neill is good. Christian Darius is still young. There's a lot of these players that will improve as the season goes on because they haven't had that much time to kind of develop and play. And we're kind of in that beginning stage. So this is what we're going to expect and kind of see now. But the, the offensive line needs to improve. And that kind of brings me to my last point. Talking about this game and we can move on to Detroit. Where do the Vikings improve? Well, I think they need to play. They need to play more press on the wide receivers. They need to not give them so much you know, room to basically get in the middle of the field. And I'm going to touch on that with Amon Ross St. Brown, who but does a majority of his catches in the middle of the field, and we might see him go off. Bet the over. So, defensively, obviously you get to the quarterback, that's an obvious, but they do need to play, they need to press up harder against the wide receivers and not play so far back. On offense, the, the offensive line needs to improve and they need to get Dalvin Cook involved. If you get Dalvin Cook involved, that opens up the play action, which opens up more for Ervin Smith, Justin Jefferson, etc. Let's just move on to Detroit. We all know what needs to happen, but what are the keys to beating the Detroit Lions? And let me let me start first by saying that this is not the same Detroit Lions that we're used to, you know, seeing in the past that four-win team or that three-win team. This is a good Detroit Lions team. They're improving. They're going to get better each season. I've talked about it on the podcast before with my with my friend David. Detroit is a team that could win seven to ten games, and it wouldn't really surprise me. They're a good team. They've put up a lot of points defensively. There are some question marks, but offensively, they look really good. My first key to beating Detroit is you need to stop the run. Detroit ranks third in the NFL in rushing yards a season. And again, this is all small sample sizes, two games, but third in the NFL in rushing yards. They're averaging 109, 189.5 yards per game with Jamal Williams and their main threat, DeAndre Swift. In game one, Swift had 15 carries, 144 yards, and a touchdown. That was against the Eagles. That what made me, That's what made me bet the over on Dalvin Cook's rushing yards because I was like, the Lions basically just ran it down the Eagles' throats. Dalvin Cook is a better running back, he'll do the same thing. That didn't happen. So obviously in Detroit's offensive line is way better. But something is something is that Detroit, something that Detroit is doing is is they're obviously doing a lot better than Minnesota right now. They're getting the run game involved in. And Minnesota hasn't really figured that out yet. Game 2, he had 5 carries only for 56 yards against the Washington Commanders. Now Five carries is not that much, but Amon Ross St. Brown did have two carries for like 60 yards, and Jared Goff threw for four touchdowns. So there was a more balanced attack, and he did get you know 56 yards on five carries. That's a really good average. They play a really balanced game in week two, and they find ways to get everyone involved, and that's something we haven't seen Minnesota do. But stopping the run is going to be the biggest priority. Harrison Phillips needs to step up. There's there's a lot of people that need to step up in week three to stop the run. Let's talk about defensively for the Vikings, what they need to do, though. Like, obviously, they, I just talked about they need to stop the run. But Detroit puts up a lot of points. Week one against the Eagles, they put up 35. Minnesota put up seven against the Eagles. And week two, they put up 36 on the Washington Commanders. And Jared Goff is playing really well. Week one against the Eagles, 215, two touchdowns, one interception. Week two, 256 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He's talented. We've seen him do it with the Rams. He's obviously has his moments. He's not perfect. Not every quarterback is. Jared Goff is not the perfect quarterback. He's not an elite quarterback. But he is a decent quarterback. And I don't think we give him enough credit. Minnesota needs to get after him. We haven't really seen... We saw it in week one when they got after Aaron Rodgers and they made his life hell. They couldn't do that with Jalen Hurts. And that's something I talked about in my podcast last week. It's not easy to get after a mobile quarterback like Jalen Hurts who can run around the field. But Jared Goff is not a mobile quarterback and they can attack him like they did with Aaron Rodgers. We might see kind of a similar game plan that they did with the Green Bay Packers. You know, Green Bay is kind of similar in that sense where, Obviously, I'm not I'm not even com- remotely comparing Aaron Rodgers to Jared Goff. They're not the same player, and they never will be. But Aaron Rodgers is not that same mobile quarterback like he used to be, and Jared Goff isn't a mobile quarterback either. Get after him like they did. The Lions like to run the ball with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, kind of like what the Packers like to do with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. They try to kind of have that that balance attack in some in, the, in some ways. There's a lot. There's a lot of similarities between the two teams right now. But wide receiver, how do you stop Amon Ross St. Brown? He's six foot, two hundred three pounds, and a lot of his catches are in the middle of the field. Similar to what Philly did, they, they Philly basically just kind of went in the middle of the field and found a lot of, and then Jalen Hurts found the open man, and that's what we're going to see with Amon Ross St. Brown. Minnesota needs to press more, and they need to put more pressure on. Jared Goff, so that those passes up the middle are not wide open anymore. Offensively, Minnesota should have a lot of success. You know, Philly scored 38 against them. The Washington Commanders with Carson Wentz scored 27 on them. Detroit has given up the third most yardage per game at 425.5 yards. And a little fun fact, Minnesota is right ahead of them. So Minnesota is given up the fourth most yardage. So this is going to be an offensive kind of battle here especially with the way Detroit is scoring. So if you're betting, bet the over on the score. Detroit is also giving up, is also ranks 26th in rushing defense. Rushing defense, sorry. They're giving up 152 yards per game. Minnesota needs to get Alexander Madison and Dalvin Cook involved. Because again, you get those two involved and you get them going. Not only are they so dynamic, but you also open up the play action. You allow things to happen for Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and K.J. Osborne. Kind of sounds like a broken record here. They also rank 8th in sacks, so the O-line will have to step up. And obviously, they do rank 27th in passing yards, so this is there's a lot to like for the offense in this game. There's, they have to put, obviously, they have to protect Kirk Cousins, but if they can do that, that'll open up the game for Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, and the wide receivers. It's just defensively is where the question marks are. And we will have those same kind of question marks as the season goes on. You know, are they going to be able to stop? Is the secondary going to be able to stop opposing wide receivers? And that's kind of been the MO and kind of the big question marks these last couple of years. The defense needs to stop the run. They need to stop the wide receivers because Detroit will put up points and Minnesota, there's a lot of question marks, but my prediction for week three, the Vikings win 31-28. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Let me know in the comments section below what you think the score will be. Now let's move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Let's talk about the ESPN rankings. If you didn't see, I'll tell you right now. ESPN, they have not released the 1-5, through five, but I can tell you right now, Minnesota did not have any of those players in the 1-5, through five, which was to be expected. Here are the rankings for the upcoming season. And I don't know 100%, but I believe that the rankings are based on what they expect them to do this season. Because there are rookies on the list, which I will kind of bitch about later. But at 93, D'Angelo Russell. And then way, 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 way down is Anthony Edwards at 25, Rudy Gobert at 18, and Carol Anthony Towns at 13. Minnesota is the only team to have three players in the top 25. This is a talented team. This is a team we have not seen In a long, long, long time. You could even make the case that this is a more talented team than the Kevin Garnett years. Whether they succeed and have the the same amount of success is to be determined. But on paper, this is a very, very, very talented team. Dan, my thoughts on the rankings, and obviously, it doesn't matter what my thoughts are really, but it's a fun discussion point. It's fun to kind of argue and kind of see, because obviously ESPN, it's an opinion base. It's not factual, whether or not, We agree with it. In my opinion, D'Lo is too low. He should not be a 93. He should be somewhere in the 70s, maybe 60s if you're being generous. But I think 70 is pretty... I mean, I think it's reasonable. If you look, there are rookies on this list. And I get that you're probably basing it off of how they're going to do the season. But you cannot tell me that a rookie is going to be playing better than D'Angelo Russell. If you just look at, like, historically in the NBA... There's no rookie that impacts winning. It just doesn't happen. They may put up good stacks, but they're not going to affect winning. It just doesn't happen. So you can't tell me that. I'm trying to think of like who are some rookies ahead of them. Oh, there were just basically the you know you're you're just imagine the top five, obviously top six picks, whatever. That were in the, I, I'm blanking on it because I'm just so focused on why D'Angelo Russell is so low. But players that were ahead of him that have played NBA games is like Spencer Dinwiddie, Russell Westbrook, Christian Wood, Anthony Simons, Jordan Clarkson. Spencer Dinwiddie's not better. Russell Westbrook had a terrible season. You cannot tell me if you were to swap Russell Westbrook for D'Angelo Russell on that Lakers team, you cannot tell me that D'Angelo Russell makes that team a better team. We saw his impact with the Wolves. Sure, he might have been inconsistent at times, and he might not be the greatest defender. But D'Angelo Russell is a pretty good leader, and he affects winning because he gets others involved, and he makes shots when you need him to. Christian Wood is kind of a bum. I don't think he's that good, but he could have a good season here with Dallas. And for Nia Simons, yeah, he did turn it up, but he's just a scorer, just like Jordan Clarkson. He's not going to... He's not someone I'm going to worry about as much as I would worry about if I was playing against D'Angelo Russell. He's a former All-Star, and he had a great season. He put up 18-7-3, shot 41% from the the field, 34 from three, and 82 from the line. He looked better defensively, and he was the leader of this team in a lot of ways. So in my opinion, D'Lo should have been in the 70s, you know, ahead of players like Dinwiddie, Westbrook, Christian Wood, etc. I just don't understand it. And we'll kind of rapidly throw... Talk about Ant, Gobert, and cat here, but I did think that Ant was higher. I was not expecting him to be in the top 25. When the season ends, though, he could be a top 10 guy. I don't think that's out of the question, or I don't think that's unfair to say. Year three is when players make the leap, and he we could see a similar trajectory of what we saw with John Morant. And I, I don't think even Minnesota Timberwolves, I don't even think NBA fans would be surprised if Anthony Edwards was a top 10 player by the end of the season. He's a very good player. Defensively he is improving. As long as he can improve his off-ball defense and he kind of makes obviously a smarter decisions comes with age and maturity and time, but some shot selection does need to improve. He does get a little, you know, confident in himself and he does a lot of heat checks, but Anthony Edwards is a guy who could put up 25 26 points this season and it would probably be higher had he has he had he not been playing on this kind of Timberwolves team where there are a lot of talented players like Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell who need to score the ball as well so I don't hate where Ant is but I I do think he could be a top 10 player next season going into the ESPN rankings Gobert 18 obviously we all know who he is 71 percent from the field he's a very efficient shooter you he knows what his role is He's going to roll to the rim. He's going to get put back dunks. He's not going to do too much. And he doesn't need to on this team. He's a great defender. All NBA defense. Probably, he's arguably the best defender in the NBA. And I might be more biased now that he is, I'll probably say now more, that he is actually the best NBA player. I mean, the best NBA defensive player. So at 18, obviously it makes a ton of sense. You're going to get 15 and 15 from him on most nights. He's just a great player. Let's finish it talking about Carl Anthony Towns. I honestly was kind of surprised at how high he was on the list, just kind of also because Carl Anthony Towns is a very... Other than in Minnesota, he's not really viewed very high around like national media or just other NBA fans in general. So I thought he was really high, but I don't hate it because he is the best shooting big man of all time. He is a really good player. He is the Timberwolves' best player. He can score. He improved defensively. You know, he's, he can put up forty. he can shoot 40% from three. He can score 26 27 when we need him to. He scored 60 points against the San Antonio Spurs. This is a talented scorer who improved defensively. And for him to be a 13, I don't I don't hate it. I, I kind of agree with it in some ways. But I just didn't see it coming from an ESPN outlet. He was ahead of guys like Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, Trey Young. And two players that were ahead of Carl Anthony Towns was Kawhi Leonard and James Harden. That's pretty impressive. If you were to tell me that Carl Anthony Towns ranks 13th in the NBA next to Kawhi Leonard and James Harden, and if I were being completely honest, I don't really think James Harden should be that high. I think he is a little he's he's starting to decline at this point. But Carl Anthony Towns did make all NBA last year. He's shown improvements. He's In a lot of ways, he is the best player on this team. It just depends on whether or not Anthony Edwards makes that leap. And maybe maybe you can make the case that Rudy Gobert is, and not in the sense of scoring, but just his impact on winning games. Just let me know what you think of the ESPN rankings and whether or not you agree or disagree with them. You can tweet at me at Let's Talk Wolves. And obviously, follow the show at Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. You can follow my other accounts at Let's Talk Twins, Let's Talk Wolves. Let's Talk Vikes and Let's Talk Wild. But anyways, that wraps up our 26th, maybe it's 27th, doesn't matter. That wraps up our episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. <music>